Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We are continuing our Top 10 Prospects podcast series today with the Cincinnati Reds. And to do that, we are joined by J.J. Cooper. J.J. has a long and storied history covering this Reds farm system. J.J., the Reds made the playoffs for the first time since 2013 last season. Now, they barely finished above 500 and were the seventh seed in the expanded playoffs. So it wasn't like they had a banner season, but they got into the playoffs, and that's what counts and ended their drought. Since then, it seems like they've started to retreat a little bit. They traded Rysel Iglesias in a trade that, for all intents and purposes, looks like a salary dump. They non-tendered Archie Bradley. Trevor Bauer, the reigning NL Cy Young Award winner, is a free agent. Early signs point to the Reds not being able to afford him. And we've seen guys like Sonny Gray, Luis Castillo, Mike Moustakas, Eugenio Suarez, all floated in trade rumors. Again, they're just rumors, but... There does seem to be an arrow pointing here in the direction of the Reds, rather than using their playoff appearance as a springboard, that they're kind of moving backward and potentially retreating a little bit. JJ, given where this team is in the majors and the direction they appear to be heading, and what they have in the farm system, is there reason to be optimistic about the Reds? If they're selling off, it's hard to be, because I mean, this is a team that <laughs> with everything going, you know, together, I mean, with a big push was a fringe of the playoffs team. I mean, this was a team that went 31 and 29. It's not a team, again, it's a 60 game season, but it's not a team that won 38 games. And you say, Hey, if they have to retrench a little bit to, to build for the future, they're still right there. No, this is a team that I, that had a really good pitching staff last year, had a really good starting rotation. Trevor Bauer is gone, and no one seems to think that Trevor Bauer is going to be back in Cincinnati in 2021. As you mentioned, there's been discussion that maybe they trade. They had kind of the, you know, a three-headed monster there with, uh, with Bauer, Castillo, and, and Sonny Gray, and, and I don't want to, you know, not count on, you know, what they got from Tyler Molle, what they got from – TJ Anton and all that. But those were the three big guys. And it is possible that we will begin the 2021 season with them having one of those guys left. And that's, that's not good because the, the lineup was not good last year. And so, yes, you would expect that they will get more production out of their offense over the course of the 2021 season. They got in 2020. That said, this is the, the bill has come due on Joey Votto's contract. This was always going to be the case. This is not the case of a team making a massive misjudgment. You could absolutely argue the Angels made a massive misjudgment when they signed Albert Pujols to the contract he did. Albert Pujols was not as productive with the Angels from day one as he was as a Cardinal. In the case of the Reds, they signed Joey Votto to a deal, a massive long-term deal, 10-year deal. And the idea when you signed him was, he will outperform this contract on the front end of the deal and he will underperform it on the back end of the deal. Well, he's 30, he'll be 37 next year. We're in the underperforming the contract part of the deal. And when you have a team that doesn't have a massive payroll, devoting 20% of it to one player who is at this point and a league average player at best, if not worse than that, is very difficult to overcome. And by the way, he has a no trade clause where 
Joey Votto is going to be there. And so this, no, uh, when you look at this, this is a, a team that is in a, what looks to be a difficult situation for the next couple of years, because they have players who are getting a lot of money who are probably on the tail end of their careers. And they're trading away players who have value, who are in the peak of their careers, but are the players who are tradable because of that. All the reasons you cited are reasons for concern in the short term. I think from the outside looking in where there's concern for the long term is the Reds over the past decade or so have not done the greatest job of getting the most production from their homegrown players. I went back and studied this at the end of 2019, kind of a final accounting of the decade's drafts, just looking at how every team, one through 30, ranked in terms of uh, baseball reference war produced by players they drafted and signed during the 2010s. And the Reds were dead last. They were 30th of 30 teams. Now, they've made some changes. They have a new farm director in Sean Pender. They have a new scouting director in Brad Metter. So maybe the new regime that's in place can help turn that around. Um, but again, I think just looking at that history, that more often than not, the players the Reds have counted on to be productive homegrown talents have disappointed in the majors or not produced to the levels predicted. I think that's a trend that's concerning. And again, I think we do need to note that some of the guys they draft in the latter half of the decade are still in the minors and they might end up still being very good and help that final accounting of their draft war look better in a few years. But a lot of those guys are now on other teams, Taylor Trammell, Jeter Downs, Josiah Gray. Uh, the Reds still do have Hunter Green, Jonathan India, and Nick Lodolo. But again, the production, just looking at the pure numbers objectively, has not been there. JJ, has it been more of an issue of scouting, of player development? How do you kind of assess this and, and what the Reds need to do to turn it around? And the crazy part about this is, is that when you go back to the last decade, the Reds were really good at drafting and developing. The reason that the Reds were good in the first part of the 2010s was that run where they were drafting, you know, year after year, Homer Bailey, Jay Bruce, Drew Stubbs, okay, Devin Mrazaraka was good before he got hurt. Yonder Alonso, Mike, Mike Leake. Leake, you know, and again, you could go beyond the first round. Joey Votto was a second round pick. They produced a lot for a stretch there. They had guys like D.D. Gregorius, who they were signing internationally and all that. And, one of the things that happens, and I, I think this is kind of a, a story of a bigger picture that, you know, it happens around baseball. But one of the things that always struck me is, is that, again, my time with Baseball America with the Reds goes a long, long ways back. And when I started at Baseball America, right at the start of the 21st century, the Reds were the running joke in baseball as far as failure to develop, especially pitching development. If you were a Reds pitcher and you were drafted and you signed, your shoulder disintegrated soon thereafter. And it was pitcher after pitcher. And it was Chris Gruler. And it was, we could just go down the list. They couldn't develop pitchers. They all got hurt. And so then you get to like 04, 05, and it starts to turn around. And I remember we did stories about it. It's like, hey, all of a sudden, Reds pitchers are actually staying healthy. And it was Johnny Cueto and Homer Bailey. And, you know, again, eventually it was Mike Leake and guys like that. But at the time, they had Mac Jenkins as their pitching coordinator. And I think he did a really good job at that. But what happens in baseball is if you do a good job, you get promoted. And so Mac Jenkins was promoted to the big league staff. And 
Mac Jenkins ended up being their pitching coach, but he ended up being fired from that job because major league pitching coach is not exactly the same job as I don't know really how well he did as a major league pitching coach. I do know that he seemed to do a very good job as a minor league pitching coordinator. And it did seem like that they lost something when he moved out of that role. There've been a lot of things like that. You know, I, I, the stretch where they were really struggled drafting partly was, is that that was the time that they were good. And they were, they went from picking in the top 10 as they did much of the 2010, 2000s, I should say, to they're taking 27, they're pitching 29, you know, 27 again at the start of the 2010s. And they did very poorly with those picks and they did not get a lot of production of those picks. I, what is interesting to see now is, and it does not mean it'll work, but it is a logical approach to me, which is, is that the, what they're doing in the draft right now is they are taking big swings. And I think that if you are the Reds taking big swings, high ceiling, high risk guys, you want to spread it around the risk, but it makes some sense because the Reds are not going to be a team who can just, you know, piecemeal their way and sign guys in free agency to get to, you know, big league playoff success because they're a, they're a small revenue team. They're a small market team and they do generally spend like that too. In order to hit on those big swings, a big part of that is putting these players in the best positions to succeed. An example of what I'm talking about is Nick Senzel. This was a premier hitter out of college at Tennessee, number two overall pick had hit his way up the minors, was supposed to be a cornerstone of the Reds' offense. But instead of bringing him up and letting him just focus on learning to hit major league pitching, the Reds tried to move him up the defensive spectrum to center field. They put him in a position where a guy who was already somewhat injury-prone was now more likely to get hurt roaming the outfield and center field. And the end result has been Nick Senzel has been a well-below-league-average hitter through the first 130-some-odd games in his major league career. And a big part of that is he's trying to learn a new position. He's trying to learn a harder position, and he's in a place where he's more likely to get hurt. It's decisions like that that are kind of a case in point of maybe not getting the most from the players they've drafted, in part because of the decisions they've made. It's already hard enough to hit in the major leagues, adding a new position up the defensive spectrum on top of it. That's just not not the best thing to do to get the best out of a player. I I think one of the problems they've had consistently is this is a team that the big league club had. I think that they're, I think Red's ownership has long consistently been, we want to win now. And it hadn't, hadn't led to winning now, but they've made moves consistently year after year when you talk about Senzel, well, one of the things they've done is they've blocked basically anywhere in the infield for him. They've blocked in you. I don't know where Jonathan India, we talk about Jonathan India. I don't know where Jonathan India plays for them because they have Eugenio Suarez and they have Mike Moustakas. They signed to a four-year free agent contract last year. And you say, oh, let's put him in a corner. Well, they also signed Nick Castellanos to a contract last year as well, who's one of their better hitters right now. But they continually, they have pretty regularly blocked some of their better prospects by going out and signing more expensive guys to play those positions. Here's the counter. Nick Senzel came up in 2019. They signed Moustakas 2020. They had Jose Peraza at second base. I understand you can't play Senzel at third base, but you can move him over to second. It's easier to go infield to infield. Instead, they put him in center field. 
Actually, I think second base, though, is an injury-prone position as center field. So either one there, you know, like I, I do. But the reality of it is, is one I is an you, easier though. transition should, for a third baseman to make than the other. I, I agree that you should have kept him in the dirt, ideally. You know, and, and again, when you look at it now, I, I look at this team right now, and when we look at their farm system, when you look at some of their best players, Jose Garcia, okay, you know, there's a pretty clear path. They don't have – unless they go out and sign a shortstop, they don't have a whole lot of road shortstops kind of standing in his way. But other than that, Jonathan India, Jonathan India should be a second baseman or he should be a third baseman. And I know you mentioned that they could shop Mike Moustakis. I don't know how much of a market there's actually going to be at this point for Mike Moustakis who will play, you know, will turn 32. He is 32 now, I should say, you know, he's 32 and he has, you know, he signed through 2023 that's not going to be an easy, you know, an easy contract to, to move. And it could, it could end up blocking Jonathan India. And I don't want to make it sound like Jonathan India is, you know, the guy who you, you know, this is not want figuring out where to put Wander Franco. I, I don't want to make it sound like that, but he is one of their better young prospects. He is someone who's close to big league ready. And if you said, where are they going to play him? I don't have an answer for you because he's really a third baseman or a second baseman, really second baseman, ideally. And that's a position that seems blocked. I, I, I don't have a great answer for that. JJ, when you look at this farm system, there are some promising players. Jose Garcia impressed me personally when I saw him in the fall league at the end of 2019. And again, spring training 2020, we saw him come up and make his major league debut this year. He really struggled, but he was jumping straight from a ball. The short version was he just wasn't ready. Austin Hendrick, a very highly regarded player, drafted in the first round this year. Uh, Tyler Stevenson, also someone that that looked really good uh, personally to me in the fall. Like when I saw him at the end of 2019, made his major league debut this year, shows some promising things with the bat. Hunter Green is still around. TJ Anton had a really, really nice rookie season. That is a player development success story you have to give the Reds credit for. So there is a group of talent here to work with. The question I want to put to you now is, Given some of the new personnel the Reds have brought in on the player development side, what are the reasons for optimism that the Reds will get the most from this homegrown group they have? Just again, given the history of the 2010s and just looking at the numbers, you know, factually and objectively, they struggled to successfully develop homegrown talent and turn it into Major League production more than any other organization in Major League Baseball, at least up to the end of the 2019 season. Well, one of the things I would say with that is, is development systems very different than it was. That doesn't, you know, we will, we will see what that means, but, but Kyle Bodie from driveline baseball is the pitching coordinator. Now, you know, they, this is a, an organization that has changed its pitching development philosophy at the minor league level. And I would say that there actually is a pretty good synthesis between the major league club and the minor league club, as far as minor league clubs, I should say as far as pitching philosophies and things like that. So if you're saying, well, what has changed? That's one of the things that's changed, you know, significantly. And I, it's not going to surprise you that you are starting to hear of there, there are guys who are popping, you know, higher velocities and all, because that's always been something that, you know, has been very much a kind of a, a, a driveline ethos, you know, spinning, trying to spin a better breaking ball, things like that. Well, so there are changes like that, that are taking place. Um, at the minor league level. Now it's been a very weird year to say, you know, well, what's the results of that? Well, you know, there wasn't a 2020 minor league season. So we're kind of, 
even though that was a move that was made, you know, before the 2020 season, we're not going to see the full effects of it probably till, you know, actually even on minor league fields until 2021, you know, in games that we can actually watch and stats will be counted from. But that would be one of the things that you could say with that is, is well, why is it going to be different? Well, they've changed that. Um, you know, they've, they've changed a significant amount of, there's been a significant amount of turnover in kind of the group that is doing the instruction. So those things are going on at the minor league level. Um, I would also say, I think when you talk about the draft, I, I, I do think that their draft philosophy has changed a little bit. Again, it's a tweak, but, you know, they have a new scouting director. And, you know, and I think that one of the things that, that you know, again, he was there before, but one of the things that Brad Meter has done is – not they hadn't done this to some extent before, but it is kind of spreading risk out. But a Reese Hines is a guy that you're picking knowing when you draft him, there's probably not going to be this in-between result with Reese Hines. Reese Hines is either going to be a really good major leaguer, you know, or at least a really a, a power hitter who hits a lot of homers, or he's not going to be a major leaguer. There's not this like, ah, you know, he ended up being a useful utility infielder, but not really, you know, the star that we hoped for. There, there are taking some big, bigger swings like that. But at the same time, I can't tell you that that hadn't been something that they've done in the past, you know, because when I look at, they spent a lot of money internationally in the year that they signed, you know, like two years, they signed Jose uh, Garcia. They signed Rafael Iglesias. They've always been kind of big in Cuba. It's worked out for them sometimes. Rafael Iglesias, I think is an example, it works out. There's, it's Roldis not Chapman. worked out for them. Aroldis Chapman worked out great. Big one. But, you know, but Alfredo Rodriguez has not worked out. There are other guys where you're like, yeah, that, that didn't work out. And again, there are hits and misses with every organization. But when you have an organization that just doesn't have a whole lot of margin of error, like they're in a division with some other teams that are – the Brewers have no advantages over the Reds when it comes to – the Brewers have been more successful recently. And the Brewers – do not have market advantages, revenue advantages, and all that. But the Cubs do, the Cardinals do. And they're going to continue to have to continue to compete with them. And those are teams, they have to be smarter. They have to do things better than those teams because those teams have a whole lot more margin for error because they can eat a $20 million mistake. The Reds cannot. JJ, I'm going to dive into the farm system here and talk about some of these players in a second. First, quick word from our sponsors. All right, JJ. So this was one of the more interesting lists to try and put together simply because in the course of your discussions with Reds, front office officials, opposing scouts, and also just bouncing things off of all the resources we have at Baseball America, there were seven different guys being talked about as the number one prospect in the system. Is it a good thing or a bad thing there's that many contenders for number one? I would say it's a good thing and a bad thing. I mean, you don't have this problem with the Rays. The Rays have a great system, but you didn't start with the Rays and go, hmm, Wander Franco. Ah, Fidal Bruhan, Wander Franco, Shane McClanahan, Wander, no, Wander Franco. Wander Franco is the clear number one guy. You want, it's good to have that. It's good to have, the Reds don't have a top 25 prospect in the game. The Reds don't have probably a top 50 prospect in the game. They may have a top 100 prospect in the game, but that's why you say you have seven guys because you have seven guys because if you have, I mean, 
talk about the Tigers. The Tigers have a very good farm system right now, right? You can debate whether Tarek Skubal is their number one. You want to, you know, or but no, it's Spencer Torkelson. You want to have that guy who you say that's the cornerstone, and then we have these other guys who are really good too. The Reds have the secondary pieces, but at this time, as we talk about this, they don't have that prospect who says that guy checks all the boxes. Every one of these guys, there are seven. Nick Lodolo is seven on this list, and you could make a case for him at number one on this list. Every one of those guys from one to seven has strengths, but they also have clear weaknesses at this point. Now, some of those weaknesses, Austin Hendricks' weakness more than anything is just drafted, you know, want to see him do something in pro ball before you get too excited about it. If Austin Hendrick goes out and has a Nolan Gorman-esque, you know, first season, Austin Hendrick will be a top 50 prospect at this time next year. If he goes out and really hits in class A, he's a, he has the pedigree. He was one of the top high school bats in the class. You just want to see him do it against pro pitching because some guys do most guys in that of that pedigree, at least do in low and loves the minors, but some don't. And if they don't, you pull back and you go, okay, we learned something a little new. Jose Garcia, you you know, the tools, the athleticism, he's a shortstop, all that. But you want to see, you know, he, he jumped from high A to the majors and he didn't hit when he jumped from high A to the majors. Hunter Green is coming off of TJ and his fastball is 100 miles an hour and hittable. So we want to see, could he miss some more bats? You know, there's all these guys have like it's yeah i like this guy but and the good news again when i say it's a yes and it's good and bad the good news of this is is that if these guys you have seven guys here who have a case for number one and if five of them go f- have a step forward in 2021 this could be a really good farm system a year from now you know if reese hines shows that his adjustments work in, again, over the course of a full minor league season, and he hits 30-plus home runs, you're gonna, we're going to be way more excited about Reese Hines a year from now than we are now. We're already pretty excited about him. But none of these guys right now, do you have that comfort level of, yeah, that's one of the better prospects in the game? Now, the way I kind of view it is I see one guy I put in the top 100, but I see eight players that I think have a chance to be pretty good that I like, and there's something to be said for you need to have – depth you need to have multiple guys who can contribute because if you have one stud at the top of your system that's awesome and you need it but you also have to fill out a 26-man roster with a full pitching staff and position players and as much of that you can fill homegrown as possible the better off you'll be jose garcia took the number one spot ultimately what led to him getting the pick over the other six contenders it was tough uh, but the more you the more i talk to people and I would kind of throw it out, like you said, I'd talk to scouts who saw their system, and you'd say, who do you have number one? And they would ham and haw. And then I'd say, I'm thinking about Jose Garcia. And they'd say, you know, that actually probably makes sense. Jose Garcia is a true shortstop. Like, that's okay, so that's a starting point. He's a true shortstop, should absolutely be able to stay there, should be an asset defensively. If he does that, So that gives you a floor of being a useful major leaguer because even with shifting and all that, if you are a plus defender, above average defender even at shortstop, there's value to that. 
But then you dive into and you say, okay, is this guy going to hit? And there's a lot of markers there to think that he will. And part of that requires you kind of like, you know, as my daughter's teenage daughter likes to say, kind of requires you almost to bleach your eyes of forget about what you saw from Jose Garcia in the major leagues, because he was not ready for that. He came up 2019. He led the Florida state league in extra base hits. That's a nice thing, but Florida state leagues high a 2020 he found out that major league pitchers are a little better than they are in the Florida state league and major league pitchers figured out if I throw a slider and I throw it about a foot off the plate, he will swing at it and he will miss it. And they did that. And he has to now make that adjustment. But if you said, okay, can this guy hit? Yes. He's hitting the minors. There's nothing in his swing that you say it's a, he has to make that adjustment and become more selective. Can he hit for some power? Yeah, there's some power in there. He can hit the ball hard. Like if you said that this guy ended up being a guy who hits 10 to 15, maybe even a little more than that home runs while hitting for decent average while playing a good shortstop, well, that's a really productive shortstop. And that's why he ended up number one because you compare that to some of the other guys on the list and you're like, I've got even a a few more questions than that. Yeah, and this is someone that I, I first saw really in the Arizona Fall League in 2019. And even though the numbers from his stint there were not good, what stood out to me is just the way he played shortstop, the footwork, the hands, the actions, just as kind of a baseball purist. I'm like, ooh, that's pretty. I like that. And beyond that, I saw him consistently square some balls up. Now, he only had three doubles and a home run. I'm pretty sure I was there the day he hit at least one of those doubles and that home run. But even within that, there was hard contact up the middle. It's like, okay. You have a guy who's this good of an athlete who can play shortstop this well, who just led the Florida State League in extra base hits, and I'm seeing him consistently hit balls hard. Sometimes they were right at guys, and sometimes they were caught. It's like, okay, yeah, I I get it. I I like this, and I think there's reason to be optimistic here. Cannot emphasize this enough. The jump from, forget A ball, double A to the majors is enormous. Don't let the outliers who make the jump and make it look easy fool you. It is enormous. From A ball to the majors, I mean, yeah, it's it's insane. So the fact he struggled, as you said, you almost kind of just need to toss it out. I mean, it was 68 plate appearances. He wasn't ready. He'll go back probably to double A next year. But I, I do 100% agree. This is a talented player who has a lot to be bullish on. With some of these other guys, you mentioned the warts, Austin Hendrick, Jonathan India, Tyler Stevenson, Hunter Green. Do any of these guys, and Garcia included, project as above average everyday players here? Is it more solid average guys? Like, what bucket do these players fit in? I think that if you said who are the most likely all-stars of this group, I think, you know, Hendrick is very, very far away. But, but Hendrick is a guy, I mean, again, he was one of the top bats in the high school class. That's the profile that often ends up leading to that. When I say often that's a profile that, that leads to that. You're more likely to come to the all-star if you're a, you know, one of the top bats in the class than it was that you were the 42nd best you know, bat, high school bat in the class and then you overachieved everyone else. That's the profile that you come from, but he hasn't played a pro game yet. Um, Reese Hines has basically not played a pro game yet. He also, if you said, could Reese Hines win a home run title? Yes, he hits the ball as hard as pretty much anyone in baseball. He could. Now, 
he has about seven steps to get from where he is now to that point. But those are guys who have kind of that all-star type potential. Um, past them, you know, uh, Tyler Stevenson, he's a catcher. If his defense gets significantly better, he is a better offensive producer at catcher than most catchers by far. At the same time, he has more offensive potential, I should say. He hadn't done it in the majors enough to where you say he's already done it, but he has that potential. That said, he defense is way more important to catcher, especially in 2021. As long as we don't have robo-lumps, defense is what teams value more than offense. And they have a better defensive catcher who plays on the same team as Tyler Stevenson. So you're kind of hoping, if you're the Reds, that there's a DH because Tyler Stevenson isn't going to catch 100 games for them anytime soon as long as Tucker Barnhart's on the on the team because the pitchers may have a mutiny because it's like, no, 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 this is the guy we want to pitch to, the gold glover. We want to throw to him. And, you know, again, Nick Lodolo, no one – when Nick Lodolo was drafted, no one thought of him as an all-star. Nick Lodolo was thought of as this guy could be a solid mid, but really even maybe back of the rotation guy. He was the best pitching prospect in that draft class, but that was the worst pitching class of all time. So that's kind of damning with faint praise. This group, again, we talked about seven guys who are in the mix for number one. Reese Hines, very, very promising, checked in at number eight. It does feel like there's a pretty significant drop-off when you get to number eight and really, or excuse me, when you get to number nine. How many other guys were in the mix for this top ten? Because, again, depth is another key component of having a good farm system. I, I feel like it was a pretty clear top 10. You could argue, and Christian Roa didn't miss it by much, but like, I, you know, I probably like Mike Ciani more than you do, who's number 10 on this list. I am absolutely all about, like, I've become more and more about, if, you, if, I, if you're plausibly, if you're at least a six and maybe a seven defender in center field, the, the bar for you offensively to be a productive major leaguer is pretty low. My expectations for him offensively are not massive, but... When I say that, I think he can be a better hitter than he has been, that he has produced so far, which could help him clear that bar. And if you can clear that bar, if you, if you can be a average hitter with below average power at the major league level and play seven defense in center, you are a very productive major league player. I'm not saying right off his bat in the minors, but he'll still get there. I'm saying this is a guy who has offensive potential as well. Um, but I, Ivan Johnson, Lion Richardson, Noah Davis, these are guys who were not going to crack the top 10 right now. Now, I like Ivan Johnson. Talked to a lot of scouts who like Ivan Johnson. But again, this is this weird year that we're in. Like, I'm not going to get overexcited about Ivan Johnson, who's just played in the Appy League and didn't get to play in 2020 because of the shutdown. He's going to have to produce. He's a Juco hitter who's a better hitter than he is defender, although he's a better defender than you would think for his body. He's going to have to produce in full season ball. And really, you're going to want to see him produce in high A, double A, before you get too excited about his profile. And he hasn't had a chance to do that yet. And there's a lot of guys like this, you know, as we do with every system this year, there are a lot of guys who maybe we're too high on them right now, maybe we're too low because we'll never know what happened in Earth 2 world where these guys had a normal minor league season and we would know a lot more about what they did because they had instructs. Some of these guys had good instructs. Some of these guys had bad instructs. But 
we don't want to go overboard on that because no one said, oh, this guy had a good April, and then we stopped talking about the minor league season. If we did that, we'd be idiots. Well, that's what Instructs is. It's one month. So it makes this harder than it normally is. So the number one question, looking at what the Reds have in the major leagues right now, looking at what they have in their farm system, what's the timeline for them to be consistently competitive as in whether it's playoffs year in and year out or at the very least in the mix, you know, maybe they win 85, 86 one year and they finish nine or 10 games back, but they're still competitive. What's the timeline to consistent competitiveness? Whew. Um, they seem to be heading in the other direction right now, to be honest with you, which is, this is, you know, they're cutting payroll and with that, I don't see the SARM system right now being one that's going to make a massive impact anytime soon. You know, I think that there are guys who can help, but not normally if you said, we talk about the tigers now who've been pretty bad and we say, you know, the, can the tigers turn it around? Well, we're talking about the tigers and we're saying, well, we're counting, they're counting on Spencer Torkelson and Tarek Skubal and Casey Mize and Matt Manning and Riley Green. Those are all top 50 prospects. You know, we talk about, are the Orioles going to be able to turn it around? And we're talking about Adley Rushman, who's one of the two or three best prospects in the game, and Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall and Ryan Mountcastle. These are all top 50, top 100 prospects. The Reds don't have that right now. And so it's really hard to say, oh, this group that they have is going to turn it around. Now, I do think I like this system more than most. I do think a year from now, with a strong season, these guys, this could be a better farm system because you can see a lot of these guys take a step forward. But you, I would be crazy to say we're debating whether they have one top 100 prospect and saying, when is this team going to turn it around? You have to have, I mean, again, the Braves did it. The Braves had seven or eight top 100 prospects when they kind of turned it around and they had a core of already having a Freddie Freeman there and all. These teams that have turned it around that have done it internally are teams that generally have loaded farm systems. This is right now not a loaded farm system. And I don't want to, you know, give false hope to say that it is. And this is a team that's not at the major league level making, they've made a lot of moves in recent years. You rattled off some of the players, Jeter Downs, Taylor Trammell. They've traded prospects to get big leaguers. That's not helping the farm system help them in 21 and, you know, 22 and 23. Those are guys, Taylor Trammell and Jeter Downs, who very well may be top 100 prospects, but they're not. Josiah Gray, those are guys who are top, potentially top 100 prospects, but they're not top 100 prospects for the Reds. I will say, again, and I want to reiterate this, there is talent in this system. I think there is a good group, that top seven or eight. It's very, very possible that, Again, a year from now, hey, Austin Hendrick is a top 100 prospect. Hey, Hunter Green, first full year back from Tommy John's surgery, looks great. Everything's playing well. He's back into top 100 range. Uh, we've seen the Reds make some changes. Sean Pender was brought in to be their new farm director. Brad Metters now scouting director. These are smart baseball people. You can't hold previous results against them. We need to give them a chance to see what they can do, the decisions they make. And um, by all accounts, again, two, two tremendous baseball people. Uh, they're is some change at the top of the organization. Dick Williams left after the season. Nick Crawl is now top of the baseball operations hierarchy. So we'll see what changes that brings, if any. So again, there 
is talent to work with here. We've seen some new people come in. You mentioned also some hires in the minor league side, Kyle Bodie being the most high profile of them. We'll see what changes that brings. So it's by no means hopeless, especially in the central where the pirates are in the midst of a rebuild. The brewers have some tough decisions to make in the coming years. And they have one of the, the lower end farm systems in baseball. The Cubs retrenching a little bit, potentially depending on what they do with Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, Javier Baez after next season, the Cardinals have made some trades over the last few years that have come back to bite them. We'll see if they're able to stem that tide. So the Reds do have an opportunity to compete. I think for me, the number one thing is this new group that they have to get more out of the guys that they draft first and foremost. That to me is going to be the key. Again, whether that's in scouting, whether it's in player development, figure out where the shortcoming was, improve upon it. And I think to me, that's what's going to unlock a successful run for the Reds, just as that is what unlocked a successful run for the Reds at the end of the 2000s and into the early 2010s. I, I completely agree. Again, this is a team that has to have success signing internationally, drafting and developing young homegrown talent. And again, some of that becomes the Rays have a lot of success where they then trade that young homegrown talent and acquire other teams players too. You can do that too, but the core for the Reds cannot be the free agent market because the Reds can't play with the big boys in the free agent market. That's where the Reds can find pieces to go around their core players that they have developed or that they have acquired. Because again, Cincinnati is never going to run a massive payroll. It has not, you know, it's been – you would have to go very, very far back into the, uh, the past to find where that was true. And, you know, and the reality of that to go a step further is, is that Joey Votto is going to take – is $25 million of this payroll, not just this upcoming year, but the year after that and the year after that. Mike Moustakis is $18 million of this payroll in 2023. That's, that's a lot of percentage for guys who probably aren't going to be all that productive for them in a couple of years. You know, that they, when you said the question that you asked, where is there going to be, you know, the, it probably is on the other side of, you know, some of these contracts they have, to be honest with you, because those are contracts that the Dodgers, the Yankees, teams like that can absolutely work their way around those contracts. The Reds cannot. If you're going to spend 120, 130, 140 million on payroll, and you say that 35 of it is tied into two players who, on that in 2023, are going to be, you know, in their mid to late 30s, if not 40, it's going to be very difficult. Yeah, it's something that they're going to have to figure out a way around, but we'll see what they're able to do. And again, there are some players here. I think you look at Hendrick and Green in particular and say, hey, these are two guys that theoretically could take a big jump this coming year. If that happens while well, Tyler Stevenson gets back up to the majors and builds on some of the things he showed in his uh, debut earlier this year, Jose Garcia is able to take from his struggles, become a better player because of them, really have a nicer double-A, triple-A. I do see the potential for this system to look a lot better a year from now than it does right now. And again, I think it's important to remember a lot can change in a year. A lot can change in two, three years. So we'll see what the Reds are able to do. JJ, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate your insight as always. Sounds good. 
All right, everyone, that'll do it for another Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter at Kyle A. Glazer. Find JJ Cooper at JJCoop36. For JJ, I'm Kyle. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody. Mm-hmm.